In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Marco Vigato, welcome. How are you? Good, good. Uh, thank you, Richard, for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. I first learned, as many people did, about Atlantis through Plato. Mm-hmm. What did Plato tell us about Atlantis? And, and how did he find out about Atlantis? Well, Plato is probably the most famous source about Atlantis, at least the one that most people will have heard about. Plato actually wrote in the 4th century BC, and he talks about Atlantis in a set of dialogues, uh, the Timaeus uh, and uh, the Critias, uh, which was left unfinished uh, at the time of uh, Plato's death. Uh, and uh, Plato actually never claimed uh, to have invented or made up uh, the story of Atlantis. He actually suggested the origin of the story was Egyptian, and that um, it was handed down to his uh, own great-grandfather Solon by the Egyptian priests uh, of uh, Heliopolis. Uh, Of course, uh, Plato, being a philosopher, adapted uh, the story to his uh, moralistic view, to his philosophical teachings. But uh, there can be no doubt that the core of the story was Egyptian. We also have 
evidence uh, from the Temple of Edfu in uh, uh, southern Egypt, in Upper Egypt, uh, of uh, a very similar account uh, that might have been uh, the inspiration of, of Plato's story of Atlantis, which is contained in the so-called Edfu building text, which similarly describe um, a lost land of the gods that was destroyed in a cataclysm uh, in, the, in the primeval age, uh, thousands and thousands of years ago. So the Temple of Edfu uh, offers kind of an, an origin story of mm -hmm. how Atlantis began, its initial mm -hmm. uh, occupants and so forth. But it's, it's interesting that it, it, it describes the original inhabitants, if I can use that word, as sort of spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, it's quite possible that the version of uh, the account that was preserved in, um, on the walls of the Temple of Edfu was just one version of uh, an account that had different uh, redactions and uh, which different versions existed in all the major temples in Egypt. But this is uh, the only one that has survived in uh, such a complete and uh, extensive uh, form. Now, as you say, a very interesting uh, characteristic about the Edfu account is that it seems to describe the original inhabitants of the island as uh, spiritual beings. It actually describes something that uh, we may call the embodiment or the incarnation of uh, some spiritual beings on uh, the primeval island. And this is, uh, again, a theme that we find uh, very consistently in the esoteric tradition that talks about Atlantis, uh, about uh, the different ages of man, this idea that uh, at the origins uh, of uh, humanity, at the beginning of uh, the present cycle, some very advanced, highly evolved spiritual beings took bodily form on earth and uh, thus became the originators of uh, human civilization. This is probably the uh, first time we find evidence of uh, this tradition in a genuine uh, Egyptian document. So what else did Plato tell us about the, the landmass known as Atlantis? Where mm -hmm. was it situated? How large was it? What was the terrain like? Well, Plato is actually very clear about the fact that Atlantis uh, was uh, located outside uh, the Pillars of Hercules. And in spite of many attempts to locate the Pillars of Hercules in Atlantis in the Mediterranean, I think there can be no doubt it was truly referring to the Strait of Gibraltar and uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, his description of the Mediterranean as a port with a narrow mouth of uh, the large continent uh, beyond the ocean and beyond Atlantis, which is probably one of the first of the earliest references uh, to America in uh, uh, the, like, the classics, uh, um, I think it makes it uh, um, almost impossible to doubt that Plato was actually referring to the Atlantic Ocean as the location of Atlantis. Now, Plato's description of Atlantis portrays it as a very large landmass, maybe not a continent necessarily, but certainly a very large island. He describes it as, as large as Libya and Asia put together, by which we should understand North Africa, or a portion at least of North Africa that was known to the Greeks, and is or, or Turkey, so still, still a sizable landmass, but certainly not a continental uh, landmass. And uh, according to Plato, Atlantis possessed a very large and fertile plain measured approximately 400 by 600 kilometers, which was surrounded by mountains on its northern sides. And uh, quite interestingly, Plato also suggested these mountains were among the highest and the most beautiful in the world. 
Now, this is particularly interesting because if we imagine that to drain the Atlantic Ocean of all of its water, what we would see is actually something remarkably similar to Plato's description of Atlantis in the region of the Azores Plateau. It's a, a very even, uh, almost flat uh, plateau that presently lies submerged at depths of between 3,000 and 4,000 meters uh, below sea level, uh, just off uh, the Azores Island. But if we imagine to raise uh, this plateau out of the ocean, and we would see it would be a very even flat plain bordered by mountains, so just as Plato described on its uh, northern side. And these mountains were no other than uh, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. Now, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge uh, is uh, a massive submerged mountain chain. Um, again, if we were to imagine to drain the Atlantic Ocean of all of its water, the Mid-Atlantic Ridge would appear as a continuous mountain chain stretching uh, almost from pole to pole and with heights comparable to the Himalayas. So we'll be really talking about uh, some of the highest mountains in the world. And proof is uh, the fact uh, that uh, the mountain tops of these uh, huge submerged uh, mountain chains still uh, emerge uh, above water today and they form the Azores, Archipelago, the Madeiras, and a few of the other islands in the, in the northern Atlantic Ocean. And what was the time period for this civilization and this landmass? Mm -hmm. um, when did it supposedly well, exist? Plato, well, Plato um, situates uh, the sinking of Atlantis, but we should really talk about the final sinking uh, of Atlantis uh, 9,000 years before the time of Solon, which would uh, place it around 9,600 BC. And we'll get back to this date because it's a very significant date. It also marks the end of a very cataclysmic period uh, in uh, the Earth's history known as the Younger Dryas. Um, however, Plato is also clear in his account uh, that uh, this was uh, but the last in a very long series of cataclysms. So there were certainly other cataclysms before uh, this one. He actually mentions uh, several cataclysms of fire and water. He states uh, that even though the Greeks, uh, as uh, many other civilizations around the Mediterranean, only remembered of one deluge of one great flood, like the biblical flood, uh, there were in fact many others uh, before that, and every time civilization had uh, to start over again. So uh, even though Plato describes what was probably the final or Atlantean cataclysm, uh, the one that caused the final sinking of Atlantis, there certainly were others uh, before that. And this is something I suggest in the book, uh, that uh, Atlantean history probably spanned uh, several tens of thousands of years uh, before the time of uh, its sinking. And this is actually quite obvious if you think about the level of development uh, that uh, Plato attributes uh, to Atlantean civilization, which clearly must have required a very long uh, period uh, of uh, development, of, of cultural evolution. So we must assume that uh, Atlantis or these large uh, uh, Mid-Atlantic landmass actually sunk uh, over many thousands, maybe tens of thousands of years as a consequence of various geological upheavals, which in turn triggered massive migrations of people from Atlantis towards both the old and the new world. So hence the title of your book, Marco, The Empires, mm -hmm. plural, of Atlantis. Correct. 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 I, I do talk about uh, several empires of Atlantis, several Atlantean civilizations, 
is again something strongly suggested uh, by the esoteric tradition. There was uh, the civilization of uh, Plato's Atlantis, which was a uh, most a terminal Atlantean civilization, what they call a, a neo-Atlantean civilization uh, in a way. Um, but before that, uh, uh, there were at least two Atlantean empires, uh, uh, which uh, um, collapsed uh, as a result of cataclysms. Uh, I identify one other major cataclysm, around 35,000. BC that occurred before the time of uh, the Younger Dryas cataclysm. And this is uh, this was truly a breakwater event uh, in Atlantean history, it really triggered the first massive exodus or migration of people outside of Atlantis. And then there was a second cataclysm in 10,900 BC at the beginning of the Younger Dryas. And then uh, the final cataclysm, which is the one that Plato describes in 9,600 BC, which caused uh, the largest sinking of uh, Atlantis. Now, even after that, it's quite likely that certain portions of uh, the Atlantean mainland uh, still survived above water in the form of uh, relatively small islands, very much in the same way as uh, the Azores of today still represents the highest mountain peaks uh, of uh, these uh, submerged landmass that are still above water. And some of these islands may have uh, survived well into the historical period, at least until the European Bronze Age were even recorded uh, by some uh, classical historians under the name of Tartessos, Thule, Scaria, for instance. These were all remnants of uh, the same mid-Atlantic landmass from which, uh, again, various waves uh, of uh, refugees and the survivors uh, migrated and moved uh, towards uh, the Mediterranean and towards the coasts of Europe, where they gave rise to the first European megalithic civilization and uh, to the sea people's invasions as well. How did Plato describe Atlanteans, uh, their physically, their, their attributes, their stature, their, I don't know, the, the, the color of their skin, uh, the way they dressed? Well, quite interestingly, Plato doesn't really provide a physical description of uh, the Atlanteans. Uh, he focuses much more on uh, their spiritual characteristics in suggesting, um, again, very similar to the tradition that we find in the had for building texts, that uh, the original Atlanteans uh, were semi-divine beings. Uh, they were the, the result of, once again, the incarnation of a divine principle into a uh, human body. Um, Plato actually describes uh, um, how the god the Poseidon um, actually generated from a mortal woman 10 pairs of twins that became the first kings of uh, Atlantis. So, um, and, and then over the course of successive uh, generations, that divine component of the Atlanteans uh, uh, became uh, more and more diluted. Uh, that's what Plato says, uh, so that uh, the Atlanteans themselves uh, fell into vice and corruption. And uh, they uh, started a war, a war of conquest, uh, actually, which is what brought uh, their civilization to an end uh, by drawing uh, uh, the gods' punishment. Did he describe their technological achievements, the level of their technology? Well, not, again, not uh, directly, but there are many hints uh, in uh, Plato's account that he's clearly talking about a very advanced civilization. When Plato talks about Atlantis, Atlantis, uh, he explicitly says that Atlantis was the wealthiest and mightiest empire that the world had ever seen, like a civilization that possessed 
uh, wealth uh, in such abundance uh, as uh, has never been possessed and will never be again possessed uh, by any human civilization. Uh, when he also describes the city of Atlantis, he's describing an immense city, uh, almost 20 times the size of Imperial Rome, uh, just, uh, just for a comparison, with enormous public works, uh, gigantic channels, uh, the description uh, that Plato provides of the main port of Atlantis with its enormous uh, canals uh, that uh, connected the different rings of, of land and water really suggests engineering on a gigantic scale to the point that Plato himself suggests that if he had not been uh, um, told uh, of all these things by his grandfather or so on, so by an absolutely reliable source, he would doubt that such things could have even existed. So great uh, were these works uh, that they almost defied, that they almost defied uh, imagination. So uh, he's clearly talking about a very advanced uh, society. And uh, we should also remind ourselves that the, the civilization that he is describing was just the terminal Atlantean civilization uh, just immediately before the final cataclysm. So it's very likely that in previous ages, uh, Atlantean civilization might have reached even higher uh, levels uh, of scientific and technological development. I'm Andrew Gold, a fallen BBC journalist interviewing the heretics and rebels brave enough to speak out against mainstream narratives. Here's Coleman Hughes, John Ronson and the Trigonometry podcast guys bringing controversy to the fore. How do you feel if a person of a different race moved in next door? I spent a while with a politically correct faction of the Ku Klux Klan. The system punishes people for wrong think. It's heartbreaking. Here's My Unorthodox Life Netflix star Julia Hart on getting out of a Hasidic Jewish cult. Why can't I be okay with being silent and subservient? Everyone else is. And biologist Richard Dawkins on trans activism. It's perfectly legitimate to say, I'm a man, but I feel feminine. But to then say, therefore I am a woman, is just a betrayal of language. Now it's your turn. Rebel against the mainstream and find a home in this sensible alternative space by subscribing to Heretics Podcast. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the host of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there, we've seen it, and we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field, and we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. We all enjoy a little mystery. Every other week, one strange thing presents forgotten stories from America's newspaper archives. They all have something in common, a single element that can't quite be explained. Join us on One Strange Thing, and you'll hear about a man who was literally stricken with genius. A 21st century child who remembered piloting a World War II bomber a mysterious, unidentifiable blob in Texas. And then there was the lizard man stalking through small-town South Carolina. From cryptids and disappearances to modern-day miracles, one strange thing brings you stories that are very real, 
and just a little otherworldly. Subscribe now, wherever you listen. So we have um, the Hindu texts and these these uh, mm-hmm. Sanskrit epics describing things like flying palaces or chariots called Vimana. Uh, are were they possibly referring to technology that the Atlanteans possessed? I do think uh, this is a significant possibility. Actually, some of the oldest uh, Hindu texts, uh, the Vedas, uh, the Puranas, they also uh, talk about uh, Atlantis. Curiously, it's named also in a very similar way. It's called the Atala or the White Island, uh, which was said to have been located in the Western Ocean to have sunk to have sunk in as a result of the corruption of its inhabitants. And uh, when these uh, uh, texts, some of which uh, date back over 3,000 years, uh, describe the level of civilization of, uh, um, of, of Atala, of uh, these uh, very advanced culture, they describe uh, flying machines, uh, they describe immense uh, cities, uh, uh, weapons uh, of terrifying power that resemble our modern weapons of mass destruction, as well, so it's, it's definitely uh, fascinating to find these uh, type of descriptions that seem to portray very advanced uh, technology, aerial machines, uh, um, even like floating cities. Uh, there are some descriptions that really resemble some orbiting space stations almost in, in these texts and weapons of, uh, of mass destruction. Uh, uh, one must wonder whether these descriptions were not just figments of the imagination of some uh, uh, priests uh, and uh, um, of like works of poetry, uh, but actually referred uh, to, um, to to a memory, however distorted, that uh, uh, may be of events that really occurred uh, in a very remote antiquity. Right. You mentioned the, the weapons of mass destruction, uh, according to the, the Sanskrit epics, uh, Brahma, Shursha, Astra, mm-hmm. um, that were supposedly, these weapons supposedly created by Lord Brahma. So mm-hmm. is the implication here then that Lord Brahma was an Atlantean? Well, actually, what these texts uh, interestingly suggest is a war between uh, the Atlanteans and another faction that uh, preoccupied uh, the Indian subcontinent uh, at the time, uh, which is uh, generally identified with the Rama Empire, which is another uh, hypothetical lost civilization that pre-existed at the same time as uh, Atlantis. Uh, what, uh, some of these texts, uh, including the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, seem to describe is the war of the Atlanteans uh, and uh, the Rama Empire that resulted in the uh, complete uh, destruction of Atlantis, but it was also a sort of mutually uh, assured destruction because then also the Rama Empire entered to decline and eventually collapsed uh, after that uh, that great war that left the world uh, completely uh, devastated. Um, and so what, uh, what we find in this text, for instance, is the description of how Brahma uh, provided uh, Shiva with a flying Vimana, with one of these uh, like flying uh, vehicles or aircraft uh, equipped uh, with uh, a weapon of uh, uh, immense uh, 
power, the Brahmastra, uh, with which uh, uh, Shiva was actually able to defeat uh, the uh, Atlanteans and destroy their capital city, uh, which is called the Triple City. There are some very vivid descriptions in the text of how the city uh, went down in flames into the depths of the ocean after this attack uh, by uh, Shiva. So again, like more... uh, pieces uh, of uh, the this like great puzzle on like the great mosaic of uh, uh, ancient civilization uh, that are certainly helpful and useful for a reconstruction of, uh, of Atlantean history. So my understanding is that, that Plato was talking about Atlantis or writing about it as a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. What was he yes. warning about? What was he warning us about? Well, I, what Plato was warning us about is really that even the mightiest uh, and most powerful civilization that the world had ever seen was not immune to corruption. Uh, so um, it's, a, it's a story about uh, the decadence uh, of Atlantis once uh, that great civilization lost sight of uh, its uh, divine uh, origins, uh, lost uh, contact uh, with uh, its own spiritual foundations uh, and fell into uh, materialism, uh, that's uh, what uh, triggered uh, its downfall. Um, Quite interestingly, uh, Plato's account uh, really depicts uh, the the Atlanteans uh, in a way as... uh, the uh, villains uh, of, uh, of the story, as opposed to virtuous Athens or antediluvian Athens, uh, at least, it was the only force uh, in the world that could stand up uh, against uh, the, the Atlantean tyranny and uh, oppose uh, the advance uh, of uh, the Atlantean armies uh, that were going to uh, subdue uh, the entire world. So, uh you, you describe the, the empires of Atlantis or the three ages mm-hmm. of Atlantis. Uh, and after each empire fell, there was uh, a, a migration mm-hmm. from Atlantis uh, out into the world. Mm-hmm. So, so walk me through that chronology. So like after the, you know, the second Atlantis period, and, and mm-hmm. the destruction, where did they go? After the third period, where did they go? The, the post-Atlantean period, yep. where did they go? Well, there is evidence uh, that uh, uh, after the first great cataclysm uh, that according to most uh, ancient sources and the esoteric tradition occurred around 35,000 uh, BC, uh, there was a, a division uh, within Atlantean society. So, uh, a part of Atlantean civilization still continued on what was left uh, of these uh, mid-Atlantic continent was still a sizable landmass in the North Atlantic Ocean, but a large chunk of uh, the Atlantean population also migrated first into Africa and then into Asia, where they established a second center of civilization in Central Asia, in the region that is uh, nowadays occupied by the Gobi Desert, but it was uh, back then, according to esoteric tradition, a vast inland sea. And so they created uh, uh, in Central Asia the route of what would become 
uh, another great and powerful civilization, uh, which is called in the language of a theosophy, the Aryan uh, Empire, as a, a direct uh, successor of the original Atlantean Empire. It's actually quite possible that what is described in some of these Indian accounts in the, Bra- in the uh, Mahabharata, in the Ramayana, is actually a memory of uh, that Aryan Empire, or at least of uh, later expression of uh, that civilization that became the Rama Empire of the Indian subcontinent. Um, During the second Atlantean period, you then have um, a war, almost a state of continuous war between uh, the uh, original Atlanteans and uh, the uh, Aryans settled in uh, Central Asia, which is, again, a word described in many ancient mythologies, uh, from Hindu mythologies, where we find uh, this war between the Devas and the Asuras in Norse mythology. We have a similar war among uh, the old gods, the new gods, or the Aesir and Vanners. Also in Greek mythology, we find the words of the gods and the titans. There is always this idea of uh, almost two different generations of God, that the old gods, the Atlanteans, and the new gods were, would become uh, toward the ancestors of a uh, present day of modern humanity. Uh, now, all of these uh, would lead us up uh, to the uh, second cataclysm at the beginning of uh, the Younger Triad. So we're talking about 10,900 BC, which is when uh, uh, I suggest uh, a massive uh, cometary impact uh, occurred, which caused uh, um, a significant uh, subsidence, one of the major, the last major uh, sinkings of land in the, the North Atlantic Ocean, which uh, in turn triggered a second exodus, a second migration from Atlantis, this time headed up towards Egypt on the one hand and South America. On the other hand, this is uh, the period which I call the Neo-Atlantean period, in which Atlantean civilization uh, left uh, its uh, insular mainland and uh, resettled in different parts of the world, establishing several Neo-Atlantean empires, but mostly in Egypt uh, and in South America and the Andes of Peru. Now, this Neo-Atlantean civilization lasted um, throughout uh, the younger Dryas uh, um, um, period uh, between 10,900 and 9,600 BC until a uh, second cataclysm in 9,600 BC caused uh, the downfall of uh, Neo-Atlantean civilization. Uh, what followed is uh, uh, the post-Atlantean period, what he called the post-Atlantean period, which sees a further fragmentation of uh, Atlantean civilization. Uh, what he suggests is that Atlantean civilization did not vanish overnight. Uh, it clearly suffered a mortal blow with uh, the cataclysm of 9600 BC, which is uh, also uh, described by Plato, the loss of uh, its its heartland, of uh, the main island of Atlantis. Uh, But still, in many parts of the world, Atlantean survivors would uh, uh, continue, uh, in a way, uh, Atlantean civilization would establish communities modeled on uh, the motherland, uh, even though 
they, they lacked the technology, they uh, lacked uh, the connection with the motherland, which explains why uh, many of these uh, communities, which we find evidence in places like the Middle East, or right, Gobekli Tepe, then uh, uh, decayed uh, over the following centuries, eventually becoming absorbed uh, by other, other peoples and losing much of their identity. So uh, when we look at some of the megalithic structures around the world, uh, whether we're talking about the pyramids of Giza, or you mentioned Gobekli Tepe, uh, do, the, do the construction, the chronology around the construction of these edifices, do they line up with these migrations out of Atlantis mm -hmm. into Africa, for example, or into mm -hmm. uh, into the Mediterranean, which would, would it, which would correspond with Gobekli Tepe. Yes, they do, and this is um, actually what I suggest, uh, particularly for the Neo-Atlantean period. Uh, this is the time when. Um, there was a large influx uh, of uh, Atlantean uh, immigrants and refugees into Egypt uh, that established uh, a neo-Atlantean civilization uh, there. There was the civilization, uh, a pre-dynastic Egyptian civilization that uh, built the first pyramids in the country. Uh, this way suggests that uh, much of the Giza complex uh, and uh, some of the greatest pyramids uh, uh, in Egypt uh, were built uh, around that time, uh, between 10,900 and 9,600 BC. Uh, this project, however, most likely remained uh, unfinished. There is evidence it was never completed. It would only be completed by uh, the later pharaohs of the dynastic period, thousands of years uh, later, which may also explain some of the inconsistencies uh, in the chronology, in the dating of uh, some of these monuments. Now, after the cataclysm of uh, the second cataclysm of 9600 BC, uh, this uh, Neo-Atlantean civilization uh, that had developed uh, in Egypt also entered into a period of decline. Now, there is evidence that desertification in the Sahara, the change from being a uh, verdant and fertile valley into the desert that we know today, and massive influx uh, of uh, people from sub-Saharan Africa actually caused the downfall of uh, these uh, uh, Neo-Atlantean Egyptian empire, so that uh, uh, survivors from that civilization actually spread throughout much of the Middle East, uh, eventually settling in parts of the Levant uh, as far as southeastern Turkey. And that's when we find sites like Gobekli Tepe that uh, really uh, show um, uh, what we could call a technology transfer or the arrival of some foreign elite that was clearly in possession of very advanced uh, knowledge of architecture, of geometry, of uh, astronomy that must have clearly originated uh, elsewhere. And that knowledge was transplanted into uh, those areas. We must imagine that these Atlantean or Neo-Atlantean survivors uh, would uh, 
uh, settle in those lands, becoming uh, the first teachers of mankind, triggering what has since become known as uh, the Neolithic Revolution, being responsible for the introduction of agriculture of many of our modern crop varieties uh, in, in the region, but then lacking the connection with the motherland, lacking the technology as many of their um, equipment um, also became uh, um, obsolete or fell into, into disrepair without uh, being uh, replaced, without even the possibility of uh, being replaced, then this civilization also started to decay, which is quite interesting what we find at a place like Gobekli Tepe, where the earliest enclosures that date just around uh, the time after the end of the Younger Dryas, uh, after 9600 uh, uh, BC, after that scattering uh, basically happened. Them. These were also the most sophisticated. Uh, some of these enclosures were built with stones weighing in excess of 50 tons. They clearly show a very advanced knowledge of mathematics, of geometry, of, uh, of astronomy. And then it's as if uh, that culture got uh, steadily worse at the art of temple building, so that around uh, 8,000, uh, perhaps 7,500 uh, BC, these enclosures become uh, much, much smaller construction becomes much cruder, less accurate, until the site was completely abandoned. So you have a picture almost of a reverse evolution or a devolution uh, in a way in which uh, uh, the oldest layers are also the most advanced, the most sophisticated, and then uh, it's as if that knowledge uh, uh, had become lost uh, through the course of subsequent generations. Overwhelmed by investing? If you're anything like us, the hardest part is getting started. That's why we created the Investing for Beginners podcast. Our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you. We invite guests to demystify investing. At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k. I'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion about investing. And We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet, and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet. Our Q&A episodes feature questions from listeners just like you. So what do you think about the situation with ETBI, which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather. And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast. On the Investing for Beginners podcast. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. So when we talk about the the earliest foundations of Gobekli Tepe, we're, we're looking at mm-hmm. you know something far older than Stonehenge, of course. What are we talking about? Absolutely. On the order of fourteen to 12,000 years ago? No, it's, it's, it's less than that. It's up, um, about uh, 11,000 to 12,000 uh, um, years ago, at least uh, some of the earliest layers uh, that have been dated up uh, around uh, 9,600 to 9,200 BC, which is uh, immediately after the end of uh, the last ice age, after the end of 
of the annual rise, which again is very curious because that's uh, um, almost the same, uh, if not exactly the same time frame where Plato uh, situates uh, the final sinking of Atlantis and also suggests uh, the, the, the final collapse of Neo-Atlantean civilization occur, which is by scattering of uh, people, of Neo-Atlantean peoples across uh, the Middle East. And we find a very similar traditions also of the arrival of uh, these uh, very sophisticated uh, elite, uh, not only in uh, the Middle East, uh, in Babylon, in Sumer, in Egypt, but also in uh, South America and Central America, where we have very similar traditions of the arrival of uh, a foreign race uh, from uh, across the sea, quite significantly from the east, from the direction of uh, the Atlantic Ocean. We have a uh, the memory of these great cultural heroes like Quetzalcoatl, Cupulcan, Viracocha in South America that uh, brought civilization in very ancient times that taught the local population uh, agriculture, the art of building in stone, uh, of writing uh, the calendar. Um, they truly became the initiators of a civilization. It's certainly very interesting to observe that uh, just around that time, so we're talking about uh, 9000 BC, uh, pretty much all over the world, uh, we uh, see a uh, sudden emergence of agriculture, what's been what's become known as the Neolithic uh, Revolution or the Agricultural Revolution. It's really significant. Uh, uh, it makes you think what happened uh, at the time before, uh, at least according to mainstream uh, archaeology and anthropology, for tens of thousands of years, uh, humanity was still at a hunter-gathering stage. And then all of a sudden, uh, around 9000 BC, in so many different places around the world, uh, from Mesopotamia, Egypt, uh, the Indian subcontinent, uh, Eastern China, South America, almost exactly at the same time, you have uh, the birth of agriculture. Plants start to get domesticated, animals start to get domesticated. Uh, you have a shift uh, from a hunter-gathering to a much more settled uh, urban type of uh, civilization. You have the beginning of monumental architecture. It's a, an unprecedented uh, time of uh, accelerated cultural evolution. What it suggests is that uh, that uh, cultural evolution was not a spontaneous phenomenon, but it was actually triggered by the arrival of uh, survivors or refugees from a lost civilization. Some have attributed that sudden rise in, in technology and sophisticated civilization in places like the Fertile Crescent. They've attributed that to the ancient alien uh, theory. Mm -hmm. um, so how does how is your work being received? I mean, that's a fairly large... Uh, community, if I can, if I can use that word, you know this uh, this ancient alien theory. A lot of people subscribe to that, and the whole, you know, Zechariah Sitchin uh, and the Anunnaki, and and uh, you know that they came from elsewhere in the in the mm -hmm. uh, universe. How does your work? Uh, how is it received by the ancient alien crowd? Well, I'm extremely skeptical of uh, these uh, ancient aliens uh, hypotheses. Uh, um, and that this is a truly based on an analysis of uh, ancient texts and of the evidence, uh, which 
do suggest that some uh, very advanced uh, people brought civilization to these lands were actually responsible for these uh, rise of civilization. But at the same time, they clearly refer to these people as human beings. They were flesh and bones. Uh, individuals were not talking about uh, extraterrestrials from space or, or anything like that. And uh, there are actually some very convincing uh, uh, references uh, in, in texts, uh, including uh, the Hebrew Bible, that uh, provide descriptions of these beings. It's clearly, clearly human. Uh, um, it's, it's obvious they must have belonged to a much more advanced uh, civilization. They may have possessed um, a set of uh, physical characteristics like great height, uh, um, like skin color, perhaps, uh, that set them apart from uh, the local population. But it's clear that all these texts are referring to uh, human beings. Uh, um, there is one very famous passage, for instance, in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 6, that describes uh, how the, the, the fallen angels, uh, which are called uh, the Ben Elohim or the sons of the gods uh, in, uh, in the biblical text, which I suggest were but another name for, for Atlanteans, is highly evolved, is highly advanced elite that came to the Middle East, uh, actually took wives from among the daughters of men, uh, which were clearly uh, part of the local population uh, that was settled there at the time. It was probably of the uh, Cro-Magnon race uh, uh, at that time and generated uh, hybrid progeny, uh, which were the Nephilim. So this fact uh, by itself suggests that the genetic difference uh, between these uh, uh, two groups, uh, the, the sons of the gods and uh, the daughters of men, uh, was not that big if they could actually procreate uh, by, by physical means, which is uh, what is suggested in uh, in this text. So, uh, what it suggests is that uh, there is actually a possibility uh, that the Atlanteans represented a separate human species. So we're still talking about a human species, but a separate human species, just in the same way as we would have uh, Neanderthals or Denisovans, um, and uh, that uh, individuals uh, from uh, that uh, species migrated to other parts of the world and actually interbred with the ancestors of Homo sapiens to uh, give rise to fully anatomically modern humans. This is something I suggest in, in the book, but I definitely uh, don't think there is any space for um, extraterrestrials or, or ancient aliens. Even if we look at the level of civilization of these people, it was clearly a very advanced civilization about we're still talking about people that are building in stone. Uh, all their culture or the civilization is, uh, is purely uh, human. And to assume otherwise would be also to ignore the immense legacy that this civilization left in so many traditions, so many cultures around the world. If you think about the legacy of the hermetic tradition, uh, the esoteric tradition as well, which I also suggest uh, is a, a direct inheritance or is directly derived from uh, Atlantean uh, science uh, and from Atlantean civilization. Uh, 
believing in this idea of ancient aliens just just came out of the sky and um, brought up uh, like civilizations if out of nowhere would be uh, ignoring all of these it would be ignoring the fact uh, that uh, uh, civilization is not a linear uh, process there were multiple episodes multiple instances in which civilizations even great civilizations fell and rise and i think that's that's truly the pattern of, of human history are we the new atlanteans well, in a way, in a way, I think we're all the descendants uh, of uh, Atlanteans. Many people ask uh, me the question, well, where, where did they go? Uh, and of course, like, uh, they, they did not all die out. Uh, the reality is that pretty much as in the biblical story of the fallen angels and the Nephilim, they mixed uh, with other human populations wherever they settled. Uh, we have many examples of that from Anatolia, from uh, Neolithic Europe, uh, in which there was a, a clearly uh, it was clearly a melting pot of different people, and certainly like the, the Atlanteans as well. Uh, over the course of time, over the course of many generations, they mixed uh, with other populations that were already settled in uh, the lands that they occupied and uh, colonized. So that in a way, um, we we are descendants uh, of uh, these uh, these Atlanteans, and uh, there is actually even genetic evidence of that. In some cases, there have been many studies that have focused on haplogroup X, uh, for instance, or a diffusion of the Rh negative blood type. The many researchers have suggested um, could have been uh, an inheritance, like a genetic inheritance from uh, Atlantean times, almost a, a signature, a footprint of Atlantean DNA that still survives in many uh, modern human populations still living today. I just have about a minute here, uh, Marco, but are we going to be victims to the same fate as Atlantis, some cataclysmic event that will push the great reset button and we'll have to start over again? Well, I think it is a distinct possibility if we look at this uh, view of, uh, of cyclical time. I do not think that our civilization is immune to that. And this is why it's even more important that we learn from uh, the mistakes uh, of the past and we recover our Atlantean uh, legacy, what they actually advocate in the book is a new renaissance, a rediscovery of our Atlantean uh, inheritance, very much in the same way as a rediscovery of the classical texts of Greece and Rome uh, triggered in this splendid time of the Renaissance in Europe. I do believe that the recovery of Atlantean civilization, of the Atlantean records, uh, will actually trigger and uh, uh, open up a new golden age uh, for mankind, so that we may not be doomed to repeat the same mistakes of the past. The Empires of Atlantis, how do we get a copy? Well, you can get a copy in uh, pretty much every bookstore across uh, the U.S. Uh, you can buy a copy on Amazon. Uh, also internationally, it's in Amazon UK. Um, it's available um, through bookstores uh, throughout the world uh, and uh, through the publisher's website, uh, through Inner Traditions and uh, Simon & Schuster. Marco, a great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for this. Thank you so much, Richard. Always a pleasure.